Pure, authentic conversation. That's soulfully casual. So grab your favorite beverage, sit in your favorite chair. Here is your host, Maddie Ice. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Soulfully Casual podcast hosted by Maddie Ice. And of course, this is a Maddie Ice Media Network production. How's everybody doing? Did everybody have a great weekend? I know that I did. It was a little gloom and doom here in Virginia. The rain started to come out. The leaves are all soggy. The The lawn of mine is, is so wet and I just don't look forward to doing all this lawn work. But you know what? It's good to be here and it's good to be back with you. You may notice a little bit of a different sound to the show this week and going forward. I decided to put a little bit of money, a little bit of financial uh, backing into this show because because I felt that it was important to me that this show sound as professional as possible to reward all of the listeners that have been listening up until now and the listeners that come on in the future. But before we get started, if you want to connect with the show, do so on Instagram. The handle is Soulfully Casual Podcast. That's a good way to get in touch with me. I like to put memes out there because you know what? We need a good laugh sometimes. And then of course there's Twitter at Maddie Ice Media is the handle. That's a good way to follow me there. I like to post about all the shows that Maddie Ice Media Network per, the, the Maddie Ice Media Network puts out and also just to kind of have a little fun there. And of course, if you want to find any of the podcasts that we do, you can find them wherever you find your podcasts and visit MaddieIceMedia.com to find all of those podcasts. So Tuesdays have been about highlighting uh, groups of people that I feel like that we can help, right? And we've done so all up until now. The first Tuesday of this month, I talked about how a lot of people generally tend to skip Thanksgiving and how that's not something that I want to do. While I love Christmas time, there is something to be said about celebrating Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving has a lot of meaning behind it. There's a lot of ways in which we can give back and a lot of ways that we can identify areas in our lives that we are grateful for, that we are thankful for, because I think many people listening to this show, I think of it in terms of if you have the access to listen to this show, then you have some semblance of privilege in your life and that you have something to look at at and basically say, you know what, I'm very thankful for this. And so I thought it was a good idea to use the month of November as a means in which to highlight not only the things in which we can be thankful for and that I'm thankful for, but ways that we can give back. So last week when I talked about a group of people that could use our help or that possibly could need our help that are really struggling. I I talked about caregivers. November is uh, National Caregivers Month. And while the National Caregivers Day isn't until February, I think the time of November with the holiday season starting is a good time to recognize that there are so many people in this world that are caregiving for somebody and that it's a lot of work. It's a lot of physical and emotional burden. And I tried to highlight some of the ways in which you could help or if you're somebody who is in need of caregiving or somebody who is going to be a caregiver yourself, because I noted that 90 million people are a caregiver in this world or in this country right now. And so I like to do that. And when I was trying to think about this week, I was looking through some of the holidays and I put holidays in quotes uh, of days in November that are related to something that we could sort of highlight it and give back to. Many of the charities that we focus on in November are looked, you know, we're kind of looking at food kitchens and we're looking at the homeless because I think as the weather is getting colder in a lot of regions, this is a holiday centered around food, around gathering. Many of the homeless community don't have that. And they generally look to soup kitchens and other food related charities to basically make sure that they are fed, right? That they have the basics in life. And while there aren't all, it's not all homeless, there's a lot of families that are trying to just make ends meet, a lot of single parent families, uh, even multi-generational families. And we're gonna get into family uh, next episode, but there's a lot of families who are struggling to, to make ends meet. And I feel like there's a lot of, 
avenues out there in which they can get the resources that they need in this time of year and also different ways that we can give back. But as I was scrolling through, something really popped up into my head in in scrolling through the website. And it was that that November 20th is National or International Survivors of Suicide Loss Day. And it made me realize that this is something to highlight. And while this may hit home with a lot of people, I think it's something worth noting, mainly because there are so many people who have either been a victim of suicide and have survived or you know we all we all know somebody I think who has who has committed suicide or we know tangentially somebody who has committed suicide there's also survivors uh, of the families that are left behind after suicide so while there are survivors of people who have attempted suicide there's also survivors of people who have lost somebody due to suicide and I think that it's important to take this time to highlight the, the many aspects of suicide that complicate our our society obviously the death of young people and the death of people in general at their own hands is something that we don't want in society mainly because it is it means that we are not addressing some really critical mental health struggles that people are going through and sometimes it's not even a mental health struggle but i talked about lack of resources i talked about ways in which people need help and sometimes we feel very helpless in this world mainly because it seems as if we don't have anybody to help us we can't get out of that financial debt we can't provide for our children we can't pay our mortgage something like that and i think a lot of people feel so helpless that they can't get out of it and there's only one way out of it and it's the most finite end to anything that we know. There's only a couple of inevitable things in life. Death and taxes are the two things that always everybody talks about. I talked about change last week as being one of those inevitable things, and I think that that is true. But death is the most finite aspect of life. We only get one life. We get one chance at this. And when we die, whatever it is that you believe about afterlife, we go somewhere after we expire, and we don't know what that that life looks like, that afterlife looks like. And it means that our carnal life is ending on this earth. The physicality of our, our being is over. And when we choose to take that ourselves, it is making such a finite choice that I think in the moment people don't really recognize because you're thinking about so many other different things. And then, of course, there's the people who are left behind after you you take your own life. And I think sometimes we are so focused on the people who take their own lives, the suicide victims themselves. And there is something to be said about that because we want to be preventing suicide. And we will talk about that in this episode, too. But I think the people that are left behind, it's a different kind of struggle because the stigmas that are still sort of around suicide in this society uh, make it so much more difficult for people who are survivors to cope, right? And to really feel understood and to get through some of that grief. Because think about it from this perspective, a vast majority of young people are the ones who commit suicide. And so therefore, there are parents left. And they always say that one of the worst things that doesn't have a description, like you, you know that somebody who loses a spouse is a widow or a widower, but we don't call a parent who loses a child anything because we recognize that losing a child is one of the worst things that we could experience. And many of the survivors of suicide victims are parents who have lost a child because their young people have committed suicide and decided that their life is not worth living. So how did this really come about? Well, suicide has had a a various sort of arc as, as it relates to the views on it in the society. If you go all the way back to, to ancient times, um, you know, we, we see that there were laws in place, both, you know, uh, religious laws and also uh, societal laws that tried to basically curb suicide rates uh, all across the world. And there were different places where suicide was sort of uh, seen as okay. In ancient Greece, if you committed a crime and you were convicted of that crime, you were given the option of ending your own life. And that's one thing. That's a different thing. This is not something where your life is in a certain place. You are not in trouble with the law, right? That That's something completely different. But as time went by, you know, we started to frown more and more upon, upon suicide. But between 1950 and 1980, one of the, the trends that we saw was that the suicide rates among Americans shot up in younger people. 
people, and I'm talking specifically 15 to 19 and 20 to 24, and it was predominantly with white males. And you you correlate that to today when we talk about mental illness and mental health awareness. I think that sometimes men get lost in the shuffle of this. And when you look at the data, it's a lot of young men who are struggling with mental health issues. And therefore, that directly correlates to higher suicide rates, of course. So just to give you some statistics about suicide in this particular country or even all around the world, but let's focus on America, for instance. So roughly 800,000 people per year commit suicide, which think about that. I mentioned last week that the census was recently taken and we have somewhere between you know 320 and 325 million people who live in this country. So 800,000 people per year is quite a bit. When you look at that toward birth rates, right, we're, we're losing and gaining people at about a zero sum rate, but we still, that that's that's not really good, right? And we don't want that as far as suicide because that means that we're missing something here. Uh, in the LGBT uh, community, five times more likely to commit suicide. And I think that there's a lot of correlation to that. But if you look at, as society looks at these things, right? Society is coming around in America as it relates to some of these issues related to LGBTQ community. And we're finally starting to realize that there are different ways in which we can live life. I did an episode a long time ago uh, relating to how people should be free to be who they are and that we should be more accepting. And I think it was related to um, Carl Nassib, who is a, a football player for the Las Vegas Raiders who came out as gay. And, you know, there's there's so much hate still and vitriol about this. And it's really, really strange because we are, we're getting there, but we're not quite there. And roughly every 11 minutes, somebody commits suicide in this country. And that's, that's really sad. Like if you think about 11 minutes and how small and minute 11 minutes is in the course of our entire life, and you think about somebody taking their own life every 11 minutes, think about how many people that is per day, per waking hour that you are up. It starts to get staggering when you think about it this way. But between 1950 and 1980, in the uh, white males ages 15 to 19 increased by 305%. That is huge. And then if you look at males, white males, age 20 to 24, it increased 196%. So obviously we're looking at it as a society and realizing that we have an issue. Now, one thing in doing my research for this episode that I, I found but didn't actually ever think about was some of the things that we started to look into as a society that may correlate to suicide rates, but things that were obvious to me that I had obviously thought of beforehand. I just used the word obviously twice in like five words, my apologies, but drugs, alcohol, of course. I mean, I think we have looked at addiction. We've looked at these types of chemical substances that are legal, right? Alcohol is legal in this country. It hasn't always been, but predominantly for the last, you know, what, since the 1920s, since prohibition, it has been legal in this country and it's accessible right? Even though you have to be 21, it's still accessible for people that are underage. So drugs and alcohol, those things are very, very prevalent in young people, especially as you're you're getting older, you're very impressionable. Peer pressure is a huge thing at those ages. And obviously, uh, access to these things and access to people who have access is something that you know really can drive this. Because if you are somebody who's struggling with mental illness, which is another thing that we started to look at as a society, drugs and alcohol can seemingly numb the pain, but they actually make the problem worse. Of course, we're looking at suicide clusters as well, which are, are there pockets of, of people or towns, right? Or different re geographic regions in which people are more likely to commit suicide, smaller towns that are isolated isolated, right? Big cities where there's so much more pressure. Like those, those are the types of things we were looking at. But this is the one that really surprised me and it really shouldn't have. But I think I never put the, the correlation together as it related to firearm availability. I was talking with Cleveland yesterday. We we're just talking about uh, guns and getting 
you know, trying to curb the issue in this country. And I think that it is a very complicated issue, but availability certainly would lend itself to more suicide rates because let's say here in Virginia, when you really only have to wait an overnight, unless of course there's a gun show in which I think you can even walk into the gun show and get it and leave that day without really that much paperwork or really any type of background or security check. If you're looking to kill yourself, you just have to wait for the right opportunity and be patient for a very, very small amount of time because then you know you can you can take on your ultimate goal. And so obviously availability was a huge factor there in which if you could get a gun very easily and you had the will to end your own life, you know, those are two factors that could really uh, lead, lead to a very quick, quick exit from this world. And we obviously wanted to look at all of those things and really start to highlight and make changes societally. And I think that's one of the things about this that has struck to me in looking up you know, information about suicide and so forth is that we as a society have tried to do a better job of identifying areas that we can help. And while we are looking here at suicide survivors, people who know somebody who has survived suicide or who has committed suicide and are surviving them as their loved ones, that's one thing, right? But obviously we want to do prevention as well. And I tried to loop all of those things together here. So this holiday, this International uh, Suicide Survivors Month uh, day didn't really become a holiday until 1999. And it was Sen- Senator Harry Reid because he lost uh, his dad to suicide in 1972, well before uh, any of this became much more nationally recognized. And if you look at 1972, th- th- when you talk about white males, right, this is between those years, 1950 to 1980. So he was part of the statistics that I read. And while he wasn't a young person, he's still part of the growing trend that was that was coming about in this country. And they put it near Thanksgiving because I believe, and I did an episode on grief, and I think, you know, at the holidays generally tend to be the most difficult time, especially the first go around of a holiday after losing a loved one. And I think for survivors of people who have committed suicide, the holiday season has to be really, really difficult, especially Thanksgiving, because Thanksgiving is about gathering. It's about being thankful for what you have. And obviously, these people have lost somebody in their lives, and they probably feel so helpless because could they have done something? Could they have helped them? And Thanksgiving, of course, is a a huge gaping hole. There There is a seat that is unoccupied at the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I think that that adds a, a a different feel to it. And so obviously highlighting that this month and highlighting survivors, you know, we can reach out to people. Um, in 2001, we created uh, a national strategy for suicide prevention. And I think here in this country, that has continued to grow as we are making it more prevalent. We are showing that mental illness is not weakness and is something that we should be more aware of and we should be helping ourselves and others as well. And in 2004, the Garrett Lee Smith Memorial, which distributed money to basically suicide prevention efforts all over the country in different ways especially in colleges. That's one place that I never considered it. But when I was in college, I very much struggled with mental health to the point that I had contemplated very, 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 very briefly ending my own life. And I'm glad, obviously, that I didn't because I wouldn't be here talking to you. And certainly, um, you know, I, I don't... I don't think that I would have been able to be an advocate for this uh, had, I, had I not, uh, had I even attempted. I think had I even attempted, it would have changed the trajectory of my life. And you might say, well, of course, if you committed suicide, you wouldn't be here. But I'm talking about having not attempted because I think there is a huge, huge stigma on people who have attempted and then have survived because it, it, it's got to be a, a, a watermark period in your life when you look back at it and think, man, how come I did that? And it has to add to the crushing element of mental health because you constantly think about that. If you're like me and you go back and you think about all the ways in which you've erred in this life and all the mistakes that you have made, I'm sure that that would come up almost every day in your life. And I know some people who have uh, attempted and, and failed, and I'm glad that they're still here, 
but I know that it very much weighs on them. So how can you help, right? So we have suicide prevention of people who we, you know, we want to save as many lives as possible, but we also want to recognize this quote unquote holiday uh, so that we can help people get through their grief. So a couple of things that you can do. The first thing is if you are a survivor, if you know somebody who has committed suicide, first of all, uh, my condolences to you, of course. I can only imagine how that feels on a day-to-day basis. I know what it feels like to have lost a loved one to just the cycle of life. But suicide is a completely different thing. But there are many Survivor's Day events that take place around the nation. And locally, you might be able to find one. And what does that do for you? Well, it really allows you to, the word commiserate isn't correct, but it allows you to feel less alone, to be around other people who are going through a similar grief that you're going through. Maybe it's not exactly the same, but I think sometimes not feeling alone helps us tremendously in our grief. And even if it's a fleeting moment, you know, an hour, two hours, uh, you may make a new friend and be able to lean on that person and they lean on you in your times of um you know, feeling down and and going through the ebbs and flows of grief because it's not linear. It's going to continue throughout your entire life and there are going to be periods that are more difficult than others. Uh, The other thing that I read about was journaling. And this is obviously for both people who feel that their life is not worth living and survivors of uh, suicide victims. I think highlighting how you're feeling and what it is making you uh, feel on a daily basis. If you're going through a down period, writing your words down, being able to see it on paper and just get it out there, uh, especially if you are seeing a therapist being able to talk through those those emotions with somebody. And of course, if you are contemplated taking your life, uh, you, you can realize and be able to express these feelings to others, but also to just get it out of your body. Because I think sometimes we repress and we don't get out emotions that we need to get out. And that does lend itself to a lot of repressed feelings, a lot of repressed anger. And that could lead us more down the path of, of taking our own life. And of course, you know, like I said, local support groups, it doesn't have to be a survivor support group, but I think a support group for people who may be considering suicide, who have attempted and survived and also survivors of victims. Victims. And I think there's a lot of support to be had, especially in your local communities. In my Halloween episode, The History of Halloween, I talked about how Halloween began and it turned into a community building event. And then I wanted to do that for myself, right, to, to get to know my community. And I did that this year. And there's so many different ways in which you can use your community, lean on your community to better yourself and make yourself feel better. And I think this is a good way. If you know people who have gone through what you've been through, it makes you feel less alone. And that has been something that I've talked about a lot this month because these different sects of people throughout the country, there's an element of feeling alone sometimes. If you're caregiving, nobody really understands what you're going through if they've never cared for somebody or seen somebody go through what you're going through. And it can be difficult to continue to forge the path. If you've contemplated suicide or you know or you are somebody who is a survivor of a of a victim, it can also feel very, very lonely because will I ever meet anybody else? And while the statistics that I read off make you feel less alone, sometimes the statistics are one thing, but actually meeting somebody who can empathize with you, who understands you, um, that's so much more powerful and so much more rare seeming. So when it happens, it has such a, a lasting effect. The the effects are are magnified. And so I, I seek, I mean, I, I implore you to seek out as much support as you can. As far as prevention is concerned, there's different ways. If you are listening to this and you feel that somebody in your life uh, is contemplating suicide or you yourself are contemplating suicide, there's of course the suicide prevention hotline. It's 1-800-273-8255. 
it never hurts to make a call. It, it, it doesn't. I mean, my stepmother says all the time, you can't get what you don't ask for and you can't get help unless you reach out. And that's what that number is for. Anonymous calling, people who may have gone through the same thing that you've gone through, who don't want to see you end your life because your life is precious. And that's one thing I think that is easy to forget when we are going through the downtimes. Life is precious. It's a precious commodity and we should always, always, always cherish it. There's, of course, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Um, it's an easy website to go to. Lots of resources, again, helping you feel less alone. The Suicide Prevention Resource Center, which is www.sprc.org. Again, another resource to find out local chapters, uh, people that you can reach out to. And then, of course, lastly, we have the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, with which is afsp.org. And I kind of messed that up. That is, that is afsp.org. Again, resources to make you feel less alone. It's a click away and a phone call away. And always remember that. So whether you are somebody who is grieving or you're somebody who is grieving and thinking your life is not worth living, you're not alone. And hopefully this episode, my voice, while I have not known somebody to commit suicide directly in my circle, I have certainly known people who know somebody who have gone through this grief. I remember when I was young, a high school kid in my neighborhood, his parents came home one day and found their son hanging dead in his closet. And I can only imagine that pain today, thinking about it as a parent, thinking about walking into that. I wouldn't be able to live in that house anymore. It The, the memories would just, they would haunt me. And I can only imagine what that feels like. So reach out, um, reach out to somebody, reach out to the show in the ways that I, I mentioned earlier. If it's something that will make you feel better to just message me and tell me your story, whether as a survivor, a survivor of attempted suicide or somebody who knows um, a suicide victim, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to highlight those people to make you feel less alone. So get in touch with the show. I'd love to hear from you. And you know, the last couple of months, I've ended every show talking about hugging your loved ones. And perhaps it seems cheesy. Perhaps it seems, you know, corny or hokey, but it's so very true. And when we really think about it, when we think about how much time that we have, think about the 11 minutes I mentioned earlier. Imagine if you only had 11 minutes left with a loved one, what would you do with it? So a hug is such a small thing and such a small bit of your time in the in the span of your life that can really change somebody's life. So I hope everybody has a great rest of the week. We're almost here for Thanksgiving. Uh, next week, we're going to get into a little bit more fun stuff, I think. Uh, I'd like to lighten the mood a little bit while still highlighting ways in which you can help. But uh, Thursday's episode is going to be about something else that I'm thankful for, something I'm very thankful for that you, the listener, are also a part of. So take care, everybody. Have a great rest of your week, and I will talk to you on Thursday. Peace. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on the Sofully Casual podcast are those of Matty Ice and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Sofully Casual podcast is exclusively owned by Matty Ice and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.